you're listening to the Knowing Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Linnell Peters, and it's an honor to walk alongside you in motherhood, whether the journey is just beginning or you're right in the thick of it. I believe that your worth as a mother is not based on your performance and that your greatest strength is the love that you have for your children, whether they're in your arms or only in your heart. My prayer is that this little corner of the podcast world will leave you feeling more equipped, more hopeful, and less alone than when you arrived. Friends, welcome to Knowing Motherhood. I'm so glad you're here today. Um, When we launched Knowing Motherhood, I really, that was last September, I really didn't anticipate the wide variety of listeners that would be here every week. Um, I guess I assumed it would just be mothers, but it's really encouraging to hear that friends and family, um, even husbands are listening in. Um, Yeah, that just warms my heart on so many levels. So um, I just have to say that if you're not a mother or not yet a mother, um, I'm I'm just so thankful that you're receiving encouragement here or knowledge that you're seeking um, and hope um, through these episodes. And, you know, I really believe that stories of hope, you know this, I believe that stories of hope are for all of us. Um, it's just so pivotal, um, for us when we're walking through difficult things. And I think they're also just really encouraging, um, for our everyday life. Um, it really doesn't matter what we're going through. This is, um, what we're made for is to, to keep pressing on and and stories of other people doing this well or maybe not well and what and you know just what they've overcome and what they've learned is um yeah it's just really impactful so hearing of god's goodness in the middle of struggle and pain is definitely one of the greatest things that we can encounter in our own journeys um, and one struggle that is very real in our world today is the challenge and the heartbreak of walking through divorce. It's a topic that is somewhat difficult to address because of the stigma that's attached to divorce and the mix of biblical views on this subject, um, you know, do exist. So I want to be really honest and share that a lot of prayer and consideration has gone into this conversation. And it's not one that we take lightly. Um, I believe that God that though God's word does state very clearly that divorce is not at all God's design or desire for a marriage relationship, sometimes situations arise that make separation necessary and divorce is the only option um, at times too. So life is messy. Uh, We know this and the world is full of broken people. We all are um, in different ways. So infidelity, a spouse abandoning their family, abuse, mental illness, they're They're not gray areas to some, but they are very much so for others. And so today, please keep in mind that this conversation was prayed over and had was had with a lot of sensitivity to each individual situation. I am so, so pleased to introduce you to my new friend, Nicole Zazowski. Um, She's my guest on today's episode, and she is a licensed marriage and family therapist. And she's also a mom to two sweet boys and a fellow mama who has walked through multiple losses and the pain of infertility. You know that I love books and the authors who write them, and Nicole actually has a brand new book that just came out in January called From Lost to Found, which I'm pretty sure you're going to want to pick up after this conversation. Though today's focus is on mothering well through divorce, she does 
share a little bit about her own motherhood journey and the path that led her to writing this beautiful book. Here's our conversation. Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yes, I know that you have an incredible story to share, and I just really know that it's going to be impactful for the women who are listening. And I'm also so grateful that um, you were willing to come and talk about a sensitive topic like divorce. Absolutely. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, So I am a marriage and family therapist. Um, That mostly includes my private practice in Connecticut, just outside New York City. Um, And I, it's technically full-time as a therapist. Full-time is about 20 clients a week, which is what I see, but I really keep my days pretty, um, pretty limited. So that looks like about one full day and two half days. Um, and I, when I'm not in my private practice, I also am a therapist at, um, an organization called the hideaway experience, which is a marriage intensive experience. It's four days, um, four to five couples, um, and group therapy. And it is transformative. It's an incredible, um, an incredible resource. It sounds amazing. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that sometimes my therapeutic work takes me there as well. And I am a writer. I My first book, From Lost to Found, came out on January 28th. Um, and that weaves my personal story along with my therapeutic experience and faith journey. Um and I am also a mom to a little boy who will be four in a couple weeks and a three-month-old. You are right in the thick of it. Yes. <laughs> in the best way possible. Yes, it's all oh a gift. Goodness. Are you getting any gift. sleep? Yes. Are you, you know getting what? sleep? Uh, he, the, the three month old is a, is a pretty good sleeper by God's grace. So mm. <laughs> I am, um, I still, you know, am up, you, you just don't get those super long uninterrupted stretches, but I'm not sure right. that will ever, I'm not sure that will happen for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you have realistic expectations. Yes, exactly. It's hard to know. Oh, okay. Well, you know, maybe you mentioned your book, Lost um, From Lost to Found, and it really recently came out. So you are just at the beginning of um, sharing that with the world. Do you want to talk just a little bit about that book and maybe in um, conjunction with that, share a little bit about your motherhood story? Sure. So I, um, when the when the story in the book began, I was living what I considered the good life. I was living in Pasadena, California, which is a place that I loved. I had just um, gotten married to my best friend and college sweetheart. Um, I was just starting out as a marriage and family therapist and feeling very successful in my graduate program and in my work there. Um, and I think, just to pause there for a second, I think that's one of the ways that the enemy works in our lives. I think sometimes we picture it, his work only looking like an attack. And certainly sometimes Mm. it does. Um, 
but I think sometimes his work looks like allowing us to be comfortable without Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is how I would describe my, that season. Um, not that your life has to be hard to be worthy, um, or spiritually deep in any way, but I just feel like while faith was a significant part of my life at that time, I was adding lots of things like performance and control and perfectionism um, mm-hmm. and investing my peace and joy there rather than uh, in Christ alone. And mm-hmm. so at the end of that first chapter, um, we find out that we are moving across the country to Connecticut, which is a place uh, I where we knew no one. I was not excited to move. It was for my husband's job. Um, but I just had this nagging sense that while he was excited about the move. I needed to move. And I, I can't describe it any other way than just a sense that God had something for me in this, um, that wasn't necessarily tangible. Um, and little did I know that that was the beginning of a long season that could largely be characterized by change and loss. Um, Mm which included five miscarriages in five years and some uh, seasons of infertility in the midst of that. Um, And a diagnosis that is not fixable and let us know pretty much that anytime I get pregnant, miscarriage is more, is the most likely outcome. Um, So in that, uh, certainly I lost tangible things, but I also lost all the touch points of security that had promised more than they had delivered. Mm. And, um, I was left empty handed, which was really painful. But what I discovered is that only empty hands are open. Um, and what I received with those open hands, um, was a totally different understanding of who God is a totally different understanding of where my value comes from and my safety in his economy and mm-hmm. a totally different relationship between the two of us began to emerge. Um, and I don't believe God is the author of our suffering. I know he's not, but I do think he will, he loves us way too much to waste it and he will use it to take our hands off of what will ultimately destroy us. And that yes. was certainly yeah. what he did for me. That's a beautiful testimony. Thank you. So you had your, when did you have, okay, so you, you said you had five miscarriages. Were they all in a row or was your older son? I'm just trying to figure out the timeline. Sure. Your, yeah, your four-year-old, was he born after those five miscarriages? No. So I had two before him. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was pretty young. And so my doctor and, you know, my mom had never had any miscarriages when she had the three of us. I have two sisters. Um, and so when I had two right in a row, my doctor was like, you know, I still don't think there's anything wrong, but why don't we just go get a fertility workup and and see just to make Mm -hmm. sure. Um, and that is when we learned that we had a balanced translocation on my husband's side which sounds complicated and it kind of is, but essentially part of his first chromosome is stuck on his 15th and part of his 15th is stuck on his first. Um, And so all the genetic material is there, which is why there's no 
obvious indicator in him. Um, but when he goes to reproduce, the right combination of chromosomes have to get selected for the baby to make it. Wow. Um, and so we then were able to have my son, um, because it is, it is possible to have a healthy baby. It's just not the most likely scenario. Okay. Um, and then I had three in between my two boys. Okay. okay. Um, and then had my second son, Charlie. Right. So I can imagine going into that first pregnancy, um, with the awareness of this condition and the possibility of loss again, um, would have been really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, did you, did you spend the majority of your pregnancy, um, in a bit of a, you know, I, for me, I, I know from experience and going through this many times as well, that there's this feeling of protection that just is automatically there. It's mm -hmm. really, really easy to guard your heart and to be afraid to bond with that baby that's growing um, once you've gone through miscarriage. Um, did you experience that throughout that pregnancy or was there ever a time during the pregnancy where you really felt the peace of God and what was that like for you? Um, it's a great question. I, I think I call it practicing disappointment, um, where I can kind of guard myself from any kind of hope because mm -hmm. we can convince ourselves that hope is a bad idea, um, mm -hmm. rather than just having really negative expectations and being willing to be pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. Um, but I found hope to be a really valuable experience, even in the midst of the statistics not being in my favor. Right. Because what I learned is that when you, when you protect yourself um, from disappointment, you protect yourself from all of it and you're going to be heartbroken anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. All of it, meaning the connection that can come from um, hoping and even grieving with other people in community with uh, my husband, um, there's a connection that comes from the vulnerability that we experience with hope that I think is really valuable and an important part of the healing process if it doesn't go the way that we're hoping it goes. Mm. Um, but yes, I totally resonate with that inclination. Um, the, the other thing that I learn to be true about hope is that in hoping, in praying, while I wasn't guaranteed a certain outcome, I was in the asking, I was, um, I was saying that certain things were true about God. I was making a proclamation <laughs> to myself, just even in the act of asking. If you think about, yeah, you know, a child who asks something of a safe parent, like in that act of asking, there's all these assumptions about who that parent is, mm -hmm. um, regardless of whether that parent says yes or no, but they're, that child is assuming that that parent is a loving and safe parent if they're willing to ask. Mm -hmm. um, That's right. Yeah. And so, I found that to be a really valuable exercise in my prayer life and in my hope is I was proclaiming certain things to be true about God, even in the uncertainty of the ask. 
And did you find that that really built up your confidence? I really learned that in my own uh, situation, especially the last two years, that just declaring who God is, it takes the focus off of our own insecurities and worries and, and fears. Yeah, I think a, a lot of our internal angst um, is certainly helped, if not solved, by um, a bigger picture of who God is and a more of a focus on who God is and a lesser focus on who yes. we are and what we can and cannot do. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So you are a marriage and family therapist, and uh, this this is a really important job, and it's also probably really heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of led you to become or to focus on this this particular field um and what's what has it meant for you um in the last few years how long have you been doing it for i have i'm coming i'm almost to my 10 year anniversary um and you know these degrees are kind of confusing um because by and large um social work psychologists um you know, a licensed professional counselor, marriage and family therapist, we all do very similar things. Um, You may not be able to tell the difference if you just watched us day to day do our jobs. Um, So marriage and family therapy, certainly I do see lots of couples um, and enjoy that work um, and families as well. But I also see a lot of individuals as more of a way of thinking Um, Mm. it's a way of looking at a person in the context of their family, of origin story, of their current environments, um, just looking at a a person in the context of systems that they're a part of. Um, and so, but I was drawn to marriage and family therapy, um, because I believe relationships are one of God's biggest blessings to us on this earth. Um, and I wanted to be a part of, um, I, d- I just found it very valuable to invest my work in one of the best gifts that we have and also one of the most important cornerstones of society. Yeah, and it really is. And so today we're going to be talking about this delicate subject of divorce um, and as far as I know, and I don't know all the statistics and I didn't really do any research on that prior to this, but I mean, it's pretty obvious that those rates are going up, Mm -hmm. um, especially within the church. Yep. And so there's a lot of hurting families, a lot of hurting children, a lot of hurting uh, men and women. And so because this podcast is focused on motherhood, we're going to be talking about um, specifically um, how to mother well through the process of divorce. Um, But I wanted just to start off with asking you about um, some of the changes and maybe some statistics that you um, are aware of in terms of divorce rates and some of the reasons for divorce that exist right now. Oh goodness! I don't know what the current um, the current rate is in and outside of the church. The last statistic I heard, um, and nobody quote me on this because I'm not totally <laughs> sure, but the the church was at least equal um, 
in in terms of the rate of divorce like there was no difference um in or outside the church was a which was a sad realization yeah um especially since you know god has a lot to say about relationships and how they work best and um yes and you know some of the reasons i think brokenness looks much the same as it did way back when adam and eve made the choice that they made um and decided that they were better off uh on their own than with god at the center of their lives um Mm. so i think human brokenness might have a different face than it did obviously back then but um it's still you know human human sin um and our sin nature so i think uh the pain that drives the poor choices that we make um, always tracks back to some kind of pain around our identity or some kind of pain around our sense of security or safety. Um, And there's a huge difference between understanding that pain and excusing that pain. I don't think that any of our pain excuses um, hurtful behavior we're all responsible for being good stewards of that pain. Um, but I do think that the unattractive behavior we see in a marriage or divorce situation, um, that behavior doesn't happen in a vacuum. It always has its root in pain. Um, mm-hmm. And so the reasons I see, if we're really going to the root root of it, I think always have something to do with a violation of love or a violation of trust, which is either pain around your identity or pain around whether or not you feel safe. Hmm. You know, I, I think one of the things that I've often wrestled with and on this subject is what does the Bible say about divorce? Because, um, you know, it's, this is a, this is very sensitive as well. And so I just want to make sure that I preface this with, um, you know, um, the the acknowledgement that you know, there are so many different kinds of reasons for divorce, mm-hmm. and many are not one of the spouse's uh, fault in any way. There's a lot of factors like mental illness and abuse and infidelity, um, and a spouse leaving, right? Leaving mm-hmm. and it not being um, the choice of the other person. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so I definitely want to be sensitive um, to this, but I wanted to ask you, um, I'm really interested to know what your own take on scripture is in the, on the subject. What have you found to be true and what's kind of your perspective? Do you mind sharing that? Sure. Um, and I'm not going to pretend to have um, all the answers. I say this with a lot of humility um, for the reasons that you just shared. I think every story is different. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think as as Christians, we sometimes have the tendency to um, pick out certain quote unquote sins or um, situations and uh, make them you know, either elevate them in terms of how wrong they are or um, just focus on them in isolation without really looking at the context. Um, 
I will say very generally um, that I think divorce breaks God's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's obviously not his design. Um, but that I would also say <laughs> that some of the behaviors that led to the inevitable divorce um, are not his design either. Um, mm-hmm. So we cannot take, you know, the the tip of the iceberg and, you know, make a judgment there. I think sometimes it's, you know, a necessary thing because there just is no other option where both parties can remain safe um, mm. emotionally or physically. Um, and so when those cases you know, when, when that is the case, um, there's a lot of things leading up to that decision to divorce that were not God's design either, that sometimes we tend to overlook and just look at the end result. Um, Mm. and you know, that is very different situation than sort of this cultural norm that we seem to be heading toward that just devalues marriage by saying, yeah, we'll stay married as long as we feel like it or mm. um, a commitment based on feelings, which isn't really a commitment because you and I both know there's going to be days where we don't feel like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that marriage is, is a daily decision. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that commitment is a daily decision, whether we feel it on a given day or not. So, um, yeah. you know, to me, I just, you know, named a huge spectrum with lots of situations in between. Um, but I, I think God celebrates marriage and um, designed it intentionally um, and designed us for it. Um, but, you know, there's lots of situations that um, can contribute to the breaking of a marriage that... Um, do not that make God really sad. How often do you have people, uh, you know, a couple sitting in your office that um, are struggling and wrestling with whether or not they should get divorced and they just don't even know what really hit them? Like, how did we get here? How did this happen? I think often. Um, yeah. I'm particularly thinking about my experience working at the hideaway experience, which is that marriage intensive um, program. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, and I, I think there's a couple reasons why that's a common experience. Um, the first being, you know, we tend to wait until it's pretty bad before we ask for any kind of help. Um, whether that's because of the financial investment, um, that therapy can, can be, Um, whether that's because we don't want to look at our own stuff and maybe the ways that we're contributing to it, or we simply just for lack of a better phrase, don't have the energy to work on our own stuff and ask the question, how is my marriage asking me to grow? Um, but I think, you know, what is two ships, one or two degrees off course, in the beginning is not really that far apart, but if you add time to that, that is quite a distance um, that those ships are apart. 
Um, mm. And I think that's what tends to happen in marriage is we sort of think it's a, a phase or something that's going to fix itself on its own. And really, time is not really your friend without um, making some sort of change because nothing changes if nothing changes. Right. So I want to touch on shame a little bit and then Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about how the church can support mothers. Um, You know, I I think that a lot of the time, as you're saying, couples, there's a lot of deteriorating happening in the marriage, or there are these situations even where there's abuse or there's infidelity and, and most people are not aware of it. And so... Um, you know, in, in a situation where a woman suddenly says, well, you know, we're getting divorced and then she has to face backlash because of that, because nobody in their circle maybe knew what was going on or most people didn't know what was really going on behind closed doors. Um, there can be, there must, there just has to be an incredible amount of shame, especially within the context of a church family. Um, and I think that even though there are a lot of churches that have divorce care, um, provided, um, and a lot of awareness on how to counsel in this, there are also a lot of places that are still quick to judge, like you say, like, you know, kind of just look at the end result and not really ask the questions about what's going on. So, um, my first question would be, you know, how does a woman, um, stay focused in the midst of maybe that shame or that guilt that exists there? Yeah, I think um, it's so hard because you're struggling enough <laughs> yes, by yes. dealing with um, all the pain that comes from divorce. You're You're struggling with the grief and loss of the relationship that you once had, you're worried about kids if they're in the picture. Um, you know, I used to run a, a group similar to divorce care. Um, I, I wrote my own curriculum for it, but, um, you know, a divorce support group. And a lot of the material that I presented was actually quite similar to a grief group because you are, um, there are so many losses captured within Mm. a divorce situation um and obviously a totally different kind of loss um but one of the most healing questions i've been asked in the midst of my own loss was what has this situation cost you and just permission (laughs) to be able to name um all of the losses that are attached to that divorce Mm. Uh, situation um, was the beginning of a lot, can be the beginning of a lot of healing Um, because it's not just the end of one relationship. Your social relationships often change. Your uh, life circumstances often change. There's just a ton of change and loss. Um, And to be able to have the space to acknowledge that um, can be hugely helpful. Yeah, yeah. How do you think the church can support women um, better who are walking through this, especially those who are mothers and have children that they are trying to raise in the middle of their grief and their their confusion and pain? Yeah, I mean, I would say, first of all, ask that question. Assume that you don't know the full story because we right. don't. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think the minute we start making assumptions is the minute we start getting ourselves into a lot of trouble. Um, I think leaning in and, um, you know, treating this like what God's call is to the widows and orphans. Obviously, those aren't the titles that we're giving um, a woman who has, you know, made the choice to divorce or have has been... Um, you know, involved in a divorce in some way. Um, but I think God's call to, to those people is the same, um, mm. that, that we need to be step in and be the family, um, where, you know, this woman is walking through and I say woman, cause the focus here is, is motherhood, but obviously it would be true for both parties that, um, there's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of, mm -hmm. uh, it's all on me. There's a lot on these individual shoulders. And so if we can, you know, take that mandate in the Bible seriously to carry one another's burdens and to grieve with those who grieve, um, and, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice, um, that, that, that is what God calls us to do for anyone in a hurting situation. And right. so, um, I also think there's this tendency, uh, with lots of different kinds of loss and grief to worry so much that you're going to say the wrong thing that you just avoid it. Um, mm. as someone who's in a support role and I think the saying nothing is almost more painful than saying the wrong thing. Um, mm. because I think e even if you say, and I often encourage people to say this, I have no idea what to say, but I really want to be here for you. And I know you're hurting and I can't even imagine what you're going through. I want to do something for you. So you make that commitment. Um, right. but please tell me what would be most helpful. Um, and that's a little bit different than can I do anything because it's harder to take somebody up on that question then when there's already a commitment, they're already doing something and you're just telling them what would be most helpful. Okay. So in the, in the case of the woman who doesn't know what to say in terms of opening up about her situation, um, the one who is experiencing, a, um, a lot of shame and, um, fear of what other people might say that could hurt more, um, you know, what would you say to a woman who's feeling um, the temptation to isolate and to stay closed and mm -hmm. not open? Because I, I, I can't, I know that this is a hard thing. As someone who has walked through isolation in different periods of our life, when we've gone through hard things, I know what the consequences of those things are. And it's not pretty. And it, mm -hmm. it really, honestly, in many ways, just makes it worse. But it's a self protection, a self preservation. Thing that we do um, but I'd love to hear your encouragement for a mother in this situation who's really tempted to to isolate yeah it's such a great question um, in general not just with divorce um, the pain related to that but um, anytime we experience pain we as human beings tend to react in one two three or all four of four ways um, the first would be blaming second would be shaming ourselves the third would be trying to control and the fourth would be escape so I mentioned that because isolation 
and um, withdrawing can actually fall into all four of those categories, um, not just escape. Um, so with blaming, we can kind of withdraw to punish. You know, you think about the common phrase, the silent treatment. Um, right. With shaming, we can kind of withdraw out of self-pity. Um, control, we can um, withdraw to kind of micromanage and um, get really independent and um, not exercise any kind of vulnerability in depending on anyone else for help. Um, and then escapes, you know, is more that just pure isolation of, um, I just, you know, it could also be a, an avoidance or um, this is too painful to think about or talk about. So I'm just not going to go there in my conversations or in my thoughts. Right. Um, so, you know, I think certainly there's a good instinct there. The good instinct would be vulnerability is not vulnerability without boundaries. Um, meaning there are certain people in your life who have earned the right to hear your full story. And there are others that have not. Um, and so vulnerability should look a little bit like a garage door where it can move smoothly up and down um, depending on who that person has shown you that they are. Um, and if they handle your information or your emotion in a trustworthy way, you can give them a little bit more. And if they handle that well, you give them a little more and so on. Um, so certainly not isolating doesn't mean that you need to be an open book to every single person. However, there's, I'm getting, be willing to bet a lot of money that there's at least a handful of people um, that have earned that right to hear your story. And so mm -hmm. I think as much as you can challenge yourself to have those five people or so and be totally open with them about not only the facts of what's going on, but your feelings about it. Mm -hmm. um, and know that you don't have to filter around them. Um, and that, you know, they're a safe place to process what's going on. Um, I think that is a huge part. Connection is such an important aspect of healing in so many different situations. Um, yeah. And divorce is, is really no exception. What happens, what happens to us um, when we isolate? Can you touch on that a little bit more? What, can, what, what are the negative results that can come from isolation emotionally, mentally? Mm -hmm. So ironically, the pain that drives us to isolate, isolation usually reinforces it. So whether it's um, a fear that no one will get it, it's going to reinforce that loneliness and feeling like you're the only one um, because you're not giving anybody the chance to get it. Um, I also think, you know, knowing that nobody is perfect and people are not going to be there for us perfectly, um, but they're doing their best. <laughs> and yeah, I, I'm sure you've gotten good at this. Um, just hearing a little bit about your own story with, um, the losses you've experienced, but you get really good at reading hearts and saying, mm -hmm. okay, maybe that wasn't the perfect thing to say. 
Um, mm. But I know this person's heart was to be there for me, to support right. me, to love me. And so I'm going to read that. I'm less concerned with what the actual words were <laughs> and more concerned yes. with, yes. you know, this person is really trying to show up. Um, right. And I'm going right. to read the message in that rather than mm-hmm. get really picky about the specific words that they did or did not use. Mm-hmm. I experienced that actually after our, our third loss and I, and it was a situation like that where it was something spoken really, uh, well, without a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet that person was so tender though in mm-hmm. their concern and love and, and was also actively trying to support us. Mm-hmm. And I remember that it was really difficult to experience the feeling of wanting to withdraw, yes. but also recognizing that 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 person w- was not intending harm mm-hmm. with the words that were spoken. And so I had to make a decision in that where I said, I had to decide, like, is this going to stop me? Because I knew my tendency at that point already. I, is this going to stop me? from opening up with other people mm. and for a time it actually I did hold mm-hmm. back a little bit more it mm-hmm. did make me a bit more wary because the question that was asked hurt so much because everything was so raw yeah but as I kind of moved forward in that I I, the Lord, I really believe the Lord just kept prompting me to address it and just spend time kind of really meditating on that and and to um recognize the what a healthy response is versus an, an unhealthy response. And uh, that actually is going to lead me to another question about um, listening to helpful versus unhelpful outside opinion. So this is kind of goes along with what we are talking about right now, but a little bit more maybe if we can talk about how to discern uh, what is taken in. How does a mother filter a lot of the opinions, because it can get really messy. There's in-laws and mm-hmm. right and family and so many people that can be speaking their thoughts and opinions and even encouragements into her picture, mm-hmm. um, into the story. How does a woman stay focused on what is true mm. and, and stay healthy? Mentally? Yeah, that's a great yeah. question. I think never letting someone else's voice trump the conversations you're having with God um, Mm -hmm. and trusting his voice, um, you know, and backing that up with, you know, making sure it's consistent with what he says to us in scripture. Um, I think the minute we start putting other voices at that same level of importance can get really confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, just making sure those voices that you're hearing from are trustworthy. Um, and, you know, I think that's where the, the boundaries are such an important um, component of vulnerability, right? Right. Um, that we are judicious with who we're inviting in, um, that, we're absol- that we absolutely are inviting in, but that we're selective about it. Um, and... And knowing that ultimately, um, you know, we can take in wisdom, but what God is calling you to do in a given moment, um, as long as it's, like I said, consistent with what he says to us in scripture and, um, 
that that wise counsel is such an important piece, but it's just a piece. Um, mm -hmm. It's not, it doesn't replace the gospel <laughs> um, and it doesn't replace God's voice in our lives. Yeah. Amen. Let's move on and talk a little bit about mothering um, a little bit more specifically in walking through this with your children. Uh, there's a lot of trauma, a lot of pain that comes in through divorce, not only for the mom, but for, for the children. Because I think the confusion factor um, is probably even greater for the children. Mm -hmm. Do you want to touch on this a little bit and how we want to just offer maybe some advice for mothers on how to reach their children's hearts in the midst of this? Because um, there's so many different um, things that are, are going to come her way, especially if she has multiple children in different age categories. Because mm -hmm. they're all going to wrestle with this and process this in different ways. Um, where can she start to get on, I would say, maybe a good path towards mothering well in the midst of her own pain? Yeah. Um, and again, this is probably you know, specific to every child and a much bigger conversation than, yes, than we'll yes. have time to cover. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. but I think it, it doesn't look so different as good practices, um, outside the situation of a, of divorce. So you just want to make sure it's just extra loaded. So you just mm -hmm. want to make sure that, um, you know, one thing I, I tell parents is to make sure you're doing everything you can to communicate that all feelings are okay. Um, mm -hmm. Because they're going to be experiencing feelings maybe for the first time in their, you know, young lives. Um, and wondering if those things are okay to feel in this situation. Um, right. They might be different than their siblings' feelings who are going through the exact same thing and just have a little bit of a different approach to it. Um, and, you know, they're going to be worried that your that their feelings are hurting your feelings. Um, so I think as much as you can do to regulate your own emotion um, so that you become a safe landing place for them to share um, and, and know that, hey, no feelings are off limits here. Um, we are responsible for what we do with those feelings, just like I'm responsible for, as a parent for what I do with my feelings. Mm -hmm. um, but in our house, you know, we, we can talk about any feeling we have. Um, that creates such a safe environment. And don't be discouraged if your kids don't take you up on it, like right that second. Um, mm -hmm. You've, you've, you've laid the groundwork um, and, the, and the soil is fertile for when they are ready. Um, mm. And just having that message and knowing it's safe when they are ready is huge, uh, regardless of whether they start, you know, pouring their heart out right in that moment. Um, right. I would say, you know, an extra measure of grace, just knowing, yes, the boundaries need to stay the same in the home as they were before the divorce um, or the announcement of the divorce. You know, some kids will want to push those just for their own sense of safety. Um, and so in order to make kids feel safe, the boundaries need to be pretty consistent. Um, obviously, like 
in any situation consistent is not a hundred percent, but it's really high. Um, mm-hmm. Kids just need a high degree of predictability um, right. and consistency in order to feel safe. Um, mm. And so sometimes guilt can get in the way of that um, where we feel like, oh, I just, you know, they're hurting so much. And so we don't hold the same boundaries that we do, but that actually has the opposite effect um, mm. because it can, it can unintentionally send a message that, um, life is pretty unpredictable right now. And I don't know where the floor and the walls are kind of thing. Um, so that would be another thing. Um, and then I just think having a ton of grace for yourself. Um, we all, we all need Jesus (laughs) and certain Mm -hmm. situations in life, um, as awful as they are, they give us the gift of realizing how much we need him. Um, and Mm -hmm. so being able to say that to your kids and say, you know what, I've made mistakes. Um, and here's what I'm working on right now, not in a way that makes them responsible for taking care of you. Um, cause we don't, we certainly don't want to do that, but in a way that lets them know I'm human and I have my own work to do. Um, here's where God is asking me to grow right now. Um, Mm. and that gives them a ton of permission to be honest about where they feel pretty human right now. Um, so those are some main things that come to mind when you ask that question. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, like you said, there's a lot more that we could say Mm -hmm. we could talk about on that subject. Um, maybe another episode sometime. Yes. Um, (laughs) yeah, because I think that that's probably, um, the most challenging thing is learn again, if it's a mother with multiple children is, um, understanding the differences in their personalities and how they grieve, right? Mm. Like, yeah, there is so much that could be covered there. So, um, maybe we'll, we'll just make sure that we have some resources for parents. Do you want to just give a few suggestions for resources for moms who are wanting to learn a little bit more about, um, mothering in the midst of divorce? Oh, um, I would need to be looking at my bookshelf to get specific titles. The Oh yeah, we, I'm throwing this on you. Sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> um, I mean, even just, um, even just, you know, regular parenting books. I know that there's, um, yeah, let me get you those, those titles specific to divorce. I think two of the best parenting books that are not divorce specific, um, but still would be helpful in thinking about as you apply it to a season of divorce, if that's what you're going through. Um, my, uh, friend Jeannie Cunyon and an author I very much respect. She wrote, um, parenting the wholehearted child and mom set free. Um, mom set free would be an interesting choice in particular because, um, it, it really addresses that shame piece, um, Mm. and how we live out what we live in. (laughs) Um, and so if you are living in that shame, um, it's translating to your relational interactions. Um, and so I, I think it's a fantastic book for all mothers. Um, but I think it would be a really interesting application to moms who are weathering 
the all that comes with divorce. Hmm. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much. I'll, uh, I'll make sure that we have those listed and anything else that you think of. Um, you know, I, I would love to um, just ask you a little question. That's just kind of like a fun one. As sure. We wrap up here. I do wish we could continue this conversation again. Some, I would love to continue it. Sometime, yes. But yeah, but we're kind of already at the end of our time here. So um, thank you for everything you've shared. I just want to know if you had four hours all to yourself and someone had already cleaned your whole house for you, uh-huh. <laughs> how, would you how would you spend that time? Oh, gosh. I am a big bath person. Um, so I find baths really relaxing and I love doing that as a part of my time by myself. I, it would not last four hours. Um, I think getting outside, (laughs) um, and being by the water on any, in any kind of way, um, ideally on a boat, but walking the beach or, um, spending time on a dock. Um, I just love being by the water. So I think I would have to incorporate that. Hmm. That sounds really nice. Where can our listeners connect with you? Yes, I love connecting with readers and listeners. Um, so my website is a good way, um, and I'll spell my last name because it's a doozy, but uh, Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E-Z, as in zebra, A-S-O-W-S-K-I.com. And I'm just at Nicole Zazowski, um on Instagram. So those are the two places I hang out the most. Right. And then the name of your brand new book, your first, it's your first book, right? Yeah. So I have, I have co-written, um, more academic books, um, on, uh, forgiveness and the model of therapy that I use. Um, but this is my first trade book. Um, so yes, it's called from lost to found and you can find it on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Oh, that's exciting. I actually had a chance to read a little bit of the first chapter um, last night. And I just loved it. It drew me in. Oh, good. It really drew me in. And I just felt like you were just sharing your heart in such a beautiful way. And just um, painting a picture of your life as you start, you know, where you start off from um, at the beginning. And I'm really excited to read the rest. Oh, thank you so much. I pray the rest blesses you. Oh, I'm sure it will. And I know it will for others as well. And our story, our stories are meant to be uh, shared, aren't they? Amen. Um, It's a gift to, to the world when we're willing to, to open up about the things that we've walked through. So, um, thank you so much, Nicole, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I want to close our time together today by reminding us all of a very important truth. During Jesus' time on earth, he encountered many broken people, and the way he treated them was with love and kindness. Though he spoke with firm truth and sometimes even with righteous anger, he never cast the broken aside. He always looked into their hearts, and he saw the deeper pain, the deeper issue, than what was apparent on the outside. He saw the sin and he still desired freedom and joy for the one who appeared blemished and unworthy. Let's do the same for each other. Let's look a little deeper, be willing to ask the hard questions, be willing to sit a while and listen and seek to give understanding. No one enters a marriage hoping to get divorced. Whether you feel called to encourage a friend to stay despite a hurting marriage 
or to help bring courage to a mother who needs to leave for her own safety, let God's love lead you as you walk this path with those in your circle. And to the mother who's in it right now, wrestling with the whys and the hows and seeking to mother well in the middle of the mess, can I just remind you that you are loved and valued and can have the peace that only God can bring in the midst of this valley. I really pray that for you. Keep running to him. He will make a way for you. He will give you wisdom to love and support your children well. Reach out and let others help you. Mommy, you are so, so loved. Friends, thank you so much for being here today. Um, you can connect with me over at Knowing um, Motherhood Podcast on Instagram, also on Facebook at Knowing Motherhood. Um, I, I'm really still working on getting the website up. I'm not sure what that um, date will be. I'm not going to give you a date because I don't want to be... Um, delayed again or I don't want it to not happen so I'm just kind of leaving that open um and of course as always if you love this episode please share it with a friend and leave a review um those mean so much and they do really help with our reach and so I appreciate you so much have a wonderful rest of the week